Hello, I'm Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bite Back. This is the podcast where we look at everything to do with technology and how it impacts our brains, our psychology and our society. Our show today focuses on deepfakes, and if you don't know what that is, it's when an AI-based technology is used to produce or alter video content so that it presents something that never happened. Think of it as a very realistic, believable fake video. You've probably seen or heard of them. While this might not be heavy on the psychology side today, I think it's very important to discuss as these videos can play a huge role in our decision-making processes. As the 2020 presidential election gets closer, we can probably expect to see the same spread of misinformation as we saw in 2016, but with AI's increased ability to produce even more convincing deepfakes, we could be looking at a whole different, more convincing wave of misinformation. The recent video of Nancy Pelosi's altered slurred speech was an example of this. Now just imagine if someone released a convincing deepfake porn video of uh, Joe Biden, for example. Well, actually, probably best you don't think about that, sorry. <laughs> My guest today is a deepfake expert who has given training to hundreds of people in government, law enforcement, PR, nonprofit, healthcare, and more. His work has been covered in major publications such as the Washington Post and Mashable. He is here to discuss video, audio, and photographic deepfakes, how they can be deployed, how to spot a fake, and what the future landscape looks like. He's Adam Dodge. And for our new on to something feature where we look at scientific research in the field of psychology and technology, we have some hilarious case studies cited in a research paper discussing Pornhub traffic during events such as the Hawaiian false missile alert or the 2018 Super Bowl. So stay tuned if you want to laugh. Awesome. I was going to say, your name reminds me of what I'd expect uh, a superhero name to be. <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, I was like Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, Adam Dodge. I don't know if you've ever had that before, but that's, that's just, maybe I, maybe I, I watch too many superhero movies, but. <laughs> no, I, you know what? First of all, you can never watch too many superhero movies. I'm <laughs> a big fan myself. Uh, you know, I have gotten that only in like the last couple of years. A few people have said that, that it sounds like a like some kind of, you know, recognizable name, like from a, like an action hero mm. or something. I, I, yeah. So I'm not sure, not sure what, uh, what's yeah. changed. Maybe the, maybe just the proliferation of superhero movies is got, it's is, working to your is, advantage. Yeah. It's working to my, finally, finally, <laughs> where, where was that when I was a you know, skinny little kid, that's when I needed it. Maybe that's why we love superheroes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let us begin. Sounds good. Would you be able to start off by telling our listeners who you are and what you do in the space of deep fakes, please? Sure. So my background is in gender-based violence. I'm an attorney and I have focused uh, most of my career on assisting uh, victims of crime and people that are targeted because they are women or from marginalized groups. And my focus shifted towards technology and the way in which technology enabled abuse is leveraged against those victim populations. And deep fakes, when they came out or rose to prominence at the beginning of 2018, they struck me as the perfect vehicle to destroy someone's life or target the victim populations that I work with. So I immediately started exploring and talking about the ways in which that technology can be leveraged to harm people, not just celebrities, but 
private individuals and primarily women. I wrote or co-authored a domestic violence deepfakes advisory in the spring of 2018 with the goal of raising awareness among people in power that work with survivors of crime or victims of crime, people like judges or people in the judicial or criminal justice system, law enforcement, nonprofits or NGOs and the like, so that when victims come forward reporting that they've been targeted by deepfakes or portrayed in deepfake pornography, for example, the person assisting them or the person in power won't be caught off guard and won't we won't run the risk of re-traumatizing someone because the person assisting them doesn't believe them because they're not aware that deepfake technology exists. So as a result of really focusing on that area, I've had great opportunities to be involved in policy around deepfakes. I've trained in this year alone well over a thousand people on deepfake training, on how to identify deepfakes, raising awareness about deepfakes, and that my targeted audiences are typically judges, law enforcement, nonprofit or NGO advocates, people in healthcare, or people in institutions of higher learning. So that's where I've spent a lot of my time focused on on this area. And you said you said you're a lawyer that um that helps private individuals with some of these cases. Would you be able to share with us maybe some case studies or examples of what's transpired in the courts from your from your experience without naming names? Well, I'll answer that in two parts. One, as far as what has transpired in the courts, we haven't really seen deep fakes or digital impersonation or digital manipulation of audio or video rise to prominence yet as far as working with targets or victims of deep fake abuse or deep fake crime i can say that i have worked with some folks but they have asked me not to release any details of their case or what they've experienced because they just value their privacy and don't want that information. And it's interesting because I have worked with survivors of crime who are, as long as they are kept anonymous, are fine with having their details released about their story in the hopes that it raises awareness on this issue. But with deep fake crime or deep fake pornography, people are very wary about releasing any details because I just don't think victims know what to make of it. And so they they are taking extreme precautions in protecting any and all information surrounding the event. To be honest, I can understand that as well, because if you did release information and for whatever reason, if they did get a hold of a person's name and all it takes is a Google search to find these deep fakes. And even though it's not them, it's still their face or still their identity, which is being taken. I can understand that's uh, quite uh, upsetting or distressing so so i can understand the nature of the why they would feel this way definitely but you going back to your first point you mentioned that um it's still very early on or this technology still hasn't become too prevalent in the court cases do you think that we're on the precipice of this deep fakes becoming easier to produce and more prevalent in our digital lives 100% absolutely and i think you know, sometimes I kick myself for focusing on this area because I have to be really on the ball if I'm going to hold myself out as somebody who trained, provides trainings on this issue because it changes in real time. It changes so quickly and involves so fast. So I'll give you an example. The great thing is that real world examples can answer this question of whether deepfakes are becoming easier to produce and more prevalent. So if you take in the beginning of 2018, you have something called FaceApp, or excuse me, FakeApp that 
was open source and available to anyone who could create a deep fake by training fake app on maybe a hundred or a thousand images of somebody to make a deep fake of them. So that required some doing. It required a computer with considerable processing power and so forth. And then you come to this summer and in June, uh, new research and new platforms produced by the Imperial College of London in collaboration with Samsung's AI Research Center were able to create deep fakes from a single photo. So they were able to take a photo of Einstein and create a deep fake of him. So it just goes to show you that, yes, it's becoming easier. And I think that's nowhere been more prevalent or more obvious than just the last few weeks when the Zhao app came out in China, which is the most downloaded free app in the history of China. And it is an app that can take one photo of you and in eight seconds put you into a clip from a famous movie. So it's got a library of different clips and it can put you into a movie as Leonardo DiCaprio or in Game of Thrones or something like that. And they're, they're hyper-realistic. And so you have now the app can walk you through a series of steps where you open your eyes and close your mouth and it takes a few more photographs. But the reality is it doesn't need many to create a hyper-realistic reproduction of you in a famous movie and what concerns me about that is while that is all fine and, and fun and it's neat to see you in uh, a movie in Titanic as Leonardo DiCaprio, we're one very small pivot away from an app coming out that instead of mainstream movie clips, it's got pornographic movie clips. And you can put take one photo of your ex-girlfriend or your ex-partner and immediately place that person into a pornographic video that is hyper-realistic and then post that to the internet or pass it along or allow it to spread virally. And that's where we can see really acute harm coming from an app that makes it that easy to create one of those videos. Definitely. And it's funny you should mention um, the stories within the past couple of weeks because there's one that caught my attention. I'm not sure if you're a fan or know of Jordan Peterson, mm -hmm. but there was a site which uh, faked his voice called uh, notjordanpeterson.com and it was shut down after the real Jordan Peterson like freaked out about it and got, got very angry about the situation. I think since deciding to do this topic and reaching out to you, I have either been more conscious of the news articles surrounding deep fakes where I haven't seen them before, maybe haven't recognized them. But it seems like this is a technology which is snowballing in the sense that as AI gets better, it gets better and better and better at a rate which just is constantly accelerating. So when you say that you perhaps don't encounter many cases just right now, I can imagine that within a year or two years at the rate things are accelerating, this could go from zero to 100 very rapidly. Definitely. I, I totally agree. I think we're looking at six to nine months where we're going to have deep fakes generated that are impossible to detect. And that's going to be a very interesting reality for all of us to be living in. But you're, you're absolutely correct. It's been accelerating at incredible speeds. And it's just it's putting an incredibly sophisticated tool in the hands of the unsophisticated. And they can disseminate and leverage that in any way they see fit. And yet, to your point about when you start thinking about deepfakes, you will notice that it is getting a lot of coverage in the media, which is, I think, really positive. Because one of the things that I'm striving to do is to raise awareness among the general public and 
people in positions of power, because if they are at least aware that deepfakes exist, then they can look at audio and video material through a critical lens and not just see or believe everything they see or believe everything that they hear. Because we're, we're moving to a reality where that's no longer, seeing is no longer believing and hearing is no longer believing. And AI has brought on this ability to produce deepfakes. Is AI being used to combat deepfakes or can it be used to combat deepfakes? It, it can. I would say there's no perfect solution out there yet, but there are some companies that I've collaborated with or spoken with or, or have relationships with that I think are working really hard to do that. One is Amber, which is amber.co, uh, and they're attacking it from multiple angles. One is they're working on technology, for example, that stamps or creates a original copy when something is filmed that can be used to debunk future fakes. So, for example, police body cam footage. Um, if their technology is put in the cameras, then they will always have the ability to source the authentic version without worry that it was going to be faked in a court of law or something like that. And then they also work on deepfake detection or debunking deepfakes. And that's something that Deep Trace Labs in, well, the person I work with is Henry. He's in the UK, but I think they're based out of Holland. And they're working on basically an antivirus for deepfakes that you can just preload onto your device that will use uh, detailed analytics and detailed AI platform and algorithm to just function in very similar ways to what existing antivirus software does. And then I guess the final point I'd make on that is, you know, Facebook just came out with this plan to have, they're putting $10 million into a plan where they're going to create re highly realistic deepfakes and then encourage the community, a community of, of folks to debunk them and detect them in the hopes of crowdsourcing really effective deep fake detection algorithms or deep fake detection platforms. I'll be interested to see how that goes. I think that um, one of my concerns in this, you know, you'll see a sort of a theme for me when I'm talking about deep fakes is I'm very focused on how they're being used to um, as a weapon to harm women, because the number one, a lot of the talk is about the future implications of deepfakes on democracy and elections, which are critically important. But that's sort of a future concern. But the victims of today are women. Uh, these you have these deepfake pornography websites that get you know millions and millions and millions of views a month, and the deepfake pornography that's being posted on these sites they, they don't include men. It's all against women. And when I look closely at what Facebook is doing, they worked with seven um, AI researchers and technologists, and they consulted with them before starting this program. And all seven of them were men, despite the fact that the actual real world harm is being leveraged against women. So that's a little frustrating for me. But um, that's sort of the reality that we're dealing with. It sounds almost like revenge porn, but on steroids. Um, it's it's I've used that exact term before, actually. <laughs> so well said, sir. Well said. <laughs> but it also sounds like a game of cat and mouse, which we see when technology in the sense of you said, like, like you said, you put it well, is almost like virus versus antivirus, or even I thought of like ad blocker versus the companies which that are trying to contend ad blocker. And um, now we've got this deep fake versus deep fake detection. It's like an arms race almost. But I think it's going to be incredibly necessary that we have these tools available because the truth is the, the first thing that made me think about this was actually the 2020 election coming up. And there was obviously a lot of misinformation spread around the internet. 
back in 2016. And from researching psychology, one of my favorite studies was by Loftus and Palmer in 1974. And basically in this experiment, they showed people videos of cars having collisions, crashing into each other. And then they asked people what speed the cars were going at, but they changed the word every time. So for example, they say, at what speed were the cars going at when they bumped into each other, when they crashed into each other, when they collided, or when they touched each other. And just by simply changing that one word, they had dramatically different responses. And in my eyes, if changing a single word can impact someone's perception or memory of something, or of someone or an event, then I can imagine that a deep fake video is just like a nuclear bomb compared to the impact that changing one word can have. And I think that we've seen how much damage misinformation can do in the 2016 election. But the one difference now is that AI and deep fake technology has come a long way from 2016. So I'm quite interested to see and also hear your thoughts on how you think deep fakes might influence politics and democracy. Sure. And that's that's definitely where there's been a lot of focus. And I think well-deserved subverting democracy is something that should concern all of us. You know, I don't know. I, th I think it will definitely have an impact on the 2020 election, because I think leading up to that and the months leading up to that, I think we're going to be at a stage where deepfake audio and deepfake video is going to be so good that it's going to be difficult to debunk. And I think the impact is going to depend on what the response is. And by that, I mean, if you look at 2016 and you look at what happened, the impact it had on the Clinton campaign when she was investigated by the FBI for using a private email server, okay? That had a huge effect that gave her opponent a lot of material to use against her. So I think we don't maybe know the order of magnitude of the effect, but we know it had an effect. So if a deep fake campaign can trigger an event like that or in a response like that, an official response, then I think you're looking at major impact. I think that if you're just talking about deepfake videos or deepfake audio being leveraged against an, a, a candidate to make them appear to be acting in a way that is uh, inconsistent with democracy or inconsistent with their platform. I don't know how much of an effect that's going to have because I think deepfakes are getting so much play in the media that I think people will be ready for that. You know, Danielle Citron, who is a, a leader in this field, she came up with an eight point plan for campaigns to address basically a deep fake attack. So she's arguably one of the world's leading experts or the world's, no, she's definitely one of the world's leading experts, but arguably the leading expert on this. And her eight point plan doesn't have a technological solution. It's all about preparedness. It's all about locating the source video to debunk, having a ready made response if and when this happens understanding how to report to platforms to have these things taken down and self-surveillance, which is something that I think we're going to be getting into where candidates are going to have to be able to account for their whereabouts and their actions 24 hours a day so that they will have source content to debunk any deep fake attack. So I do think it's going to have an impact. I also think, and this is something I don't think gets enough coverage, I think the flip side of this is something, and this is also coined by Danielle, is the liar's dividend, which is and the, the dishonest person will thrive in an environment when they can argue that anything that is true is actually fake. So by that, I mean, if 
okay, I'll give you a, a real world example. The Access Hollywood tape of President Trump saying uh, awful things or very sexist things about women. He could now, in today's world, he could just simply say, oh, that's an audio deepfake and that's not real. So he, you know, his fake news argument, like you say, will be on steroids thanks to deepfakes because he can argue anything true is actually fake. And that will play I think, to his base because he's doing it now. He's arguing true things, things that are true about him or things that he said are fake. And he has no no technological or not making a deepfake argument. He's just saying, oh, that's not true. And it's working. So deepfakes will only accelerate that. Yeah, I know that's, that's something that really worries me. I mean, it's bad enough as it is. We don't need people believing that deepfakes are real and the real news is fake. But it's going to be a sticky mess. But let's hope that the those working on, like you say, watermarks for real footage and detections for fake footage can come up with some breakthroughs. Yeah, <laughs> but going definitely <laughs> going back to your um your work that you do in the courts. Do you think that deep fakes could alter the veracity of admissible evidence? Definitely. So this is an area that I've actually spent a lot of time focusing on because it's something that I'm really concerned about. I think that the institutions that are going to take the brunt of the advent or the dawn of deep fakes are going to be law enforcement and the judicial system because they deal with such a high volume of cases and audio and visual and video evidence is that it's introduced all the time. And in a court of law, for example, if somebody comes in with a, let's say, a voicemail and they need to authenticate that voicemail, well, they're just going to lay foundation by saying, well, do you recognize this person's voice? Do you recognize the phone number it came from? OK, we'll allow it. But there's no forensic analysis of whether or not this is a fabricated audio clip or voicemail because they don't have the technology to do that. Most of them, in my experience, aren't really aware that this technology exists and is a threat to the judicial process. So I think that it's absolutely a huge threat that no one's even screening for. I think it will not only serve to create evidence that could be used to falsely accuse somebody, I think you'll also see it used as exculpatory evidence. So let's say Actually, I'll give you an example, a real world example. Not that long ago, a linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers of the National Football League was arrested for beating his girlfriend severely about the uh, face and head. And he was arrested. He had been uh, charged with domestic violence in the past. And the case ultimately was thrown out because the victim recanted. But that's not unusual. Victims recant all the time in domestic violence cases. But what really was powerful is she produced a video that was was taken a few days before the alleged attack by the perpetrator, showing her getting in a road rage fight with a stranger and sustaining injuries about the face and head. And she said that was how she sustained those injuries. And she just wanted to hurt her boyfriend and blame him for that. And he got off. So as you can imagine, this creates a whole new field of opportunity for criminal defendants and criminal defense attorneys to look at potential exculpatory evidence. Hey, I wasn't I wasn't at that you know liquor store robbing it because I was across town at this party. Look at this video of me at this party. So I think the implications are huge and we're really not prepared for it. No, it's very worrying, very worrying. Um, so I suppose the last question I want to put to you, and it might help our listeners, how can listeners spot deep fakes or what are some triggers or signs if there are any? <laughs> Gr great question. I This may be the question I hear the most. 
because people want to know what they can do in the event that they come across either an audio or video deepfake. And I think that there are some things you can do, but I think we need to keep in mind that we're going to get to a point where we're not going to be able to tell. I think you can now. I think there are telltale signs now, but I think we need to keep in mind that if somebody listens to this podcast in six months or a year, these suggestions may become a little dated. But I think the first step is to be thinking critically about whether or not something is real or fake. When I give presentations and I show clips of fakes, people are able to say, oh yeah, I can tell. I'll ask them at the end of playing the clip, hey, can you, what'd you think? Could you tell this was real or not? And a lot of them will say, oh, I can totally tell that's a fake. And then I stop and I say, okay, great. But you are flooded in your newsfeed with tons of video and, and audio every day. Are you thinking that critically about those sources of news? Because in my presentations, they know it's a fake. So they're able to like to very much pay attention to the potential signs that are there. But if they're not looking for it or they're not expecting it, the likelihood that they're going to be fooled is really significant. So first step, always be thinking about critically about whether something's fake. Look through it through that lens of it, the fact, the idea that it could be a deep fake. Second are, if you do that, then start looking for visual or audio artifacts that could be a sign that something's fake. So for example, deep fakes, the traditional deep fake is one that swaps somebody's face out in a video. So it could take my face and put me into, for example, somebody just came out with one where they put Will Smith onto Keanu Reeves' face in the Matrix. So, okay, great, because I think Will Smith was up for that role and turned it down or something like that. So in, in a case like that, where it's just his face, but it's Keanu Reeves' body, then you want to look around about uh, the face and neck, particularly those areas for distortion, because that's where the face has been swapped out. So you want to look for blurs or skips in the video or anything that just doesn't look real. Our instincts are really good, I think, at picking this kind of thing up. Another thing about deep fakes is they work best when the subject is always facing forward. You know, deep fakes are created in 2D, not 3D. So anytime a subject moves their face from side to side or up and down, the deep fake algorithm has to work really hard to keep mapping the face as it moves through its arc. So when it moves, if it's not moving, it's always looking face on with the camera. That could be a, a red flag, but that's a deep fake. And when it does move, that's where those visual artifacts could show up. I think with audio, I think you want to think about is the cadence natural? Is there a little bit of a metallic twinge? to the voice that you're listening to, I think, or if it's a little too on the nose, if it's something just so out of step with reality, that should be a red flag that maybe this isn't fake. I mean, if you think, if you see a video of Mr. Rogers uh, leading a KKK rally, you might wanna pause and say, okay, is this, let me, let me look at this a little closer because this may be fabricated. So those are, those are a few things that people can do. And I, I guess the final thing I sit, would say on that is, to keep in mind the uncanny valley, which is a term to describe when something is created to look humanoid, like an, a, a robot, but it, it is just creepy or weird or eerie. And there's just something in the back of our minds that are saying something's off here. That actually comes into play quite often with deepfakes. So that is something if your instincts are telling you something's off, listen to your instincts because they're very likely correct. That's that's very useful knowledge or advice because now that you say all those things when i think about deep fakes i've seen in the past it does resonate with me when i'm like oh yeah that that makes sense actually um adam those are my questions for now but who knows we might need to check in in another year or so because the landscape could be dramatically different but for today you have been very helpful and i feel far more knowledgeable about assessing i suppose the audio and visual 
media that's put in front of me. And I hope all our listeners are a little smarter as well. Well, thank you uh, for saying that. And thank you for, for covering this issue. I think the more we do that, the, the greater potential we have for raising awareness and identifying fakes so that they don't cause harm to innocent folks. Awesome. Uh, if people or our listeners want to follow you or hear more from you, how can they contact you on social media? Or do you have a website? Sure. Uh, on social media, uh, I am at Adam R. Dodge across all platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, that's how you can find me. Um, and you can go to adamrdodge.com if you want to uh, learn a little bit more about my work. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You run to something. So as I mentioned in the intro, we are looking at a research paper that referenced Pornhub traffic during extreme or unusual events. I first came across this paper for our previous episode, The Real Price of Porn. The paper itself is called Pornography and Rapes, Evidence of Major YouTube Outage. Now I'm not going to talk about the paper itself as it's pretty complex and heavy, but the paper does highlight three specific events from the past two years which had an interesting impact on Pornhub traffic. The first event took place on Saturday, January 13th, 2018, when residents in Hawaii received a text message around 8am stating that a ballistic missile was on its way to their island and advised they should take shelter immediately. Compared to levels on a typical Saturday, Pornhub experienced a drop of 77% in traffic immediately after the warning was sent out. Now, when residents were notified 40 minutes later that the initial warning was sent in error, traffic sharply increased to 48% above typical levels at 9am. The second event is the 2018 Super Bowl between New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday, February the 4th. Pornhub's traffic decreased 58% in Philadelphia and 54% in Boston during the game. However, Pornhub's traffic surged 28% above normal in Boston in the hours following the Patriots' defeat. The third event is the Polar Vortex. This was when temperatures dropped to record lows across the Midwest on January 30th and 31st in 2019. Pornhub's traffic showed a large increase in the region. Record highs happened in Minnesota, where traffic to Pornhub increased by 22% above average. That's our show, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And you can listen to this show on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Radio Republic. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, then please do subscribe to our channel, The Sociable, where you can keep up with all the interviews, videos, and of course, Brains Bite Back podcasts, which are published on there. In addition to the YouTube channel, you can also subscribe to the Sociable newsletter. Just scroll down on our homepage at sociable.co. Uh, just below the podcast, you'll see a little box where you can enter your name and your email, and you'll always stay up to date with all our shows that come out every Monday. And you'll also get some of our favorite articles too. Thanks, and have a great day. Yeah.